you for tuning in to Brother's Other Word because, brother, you need the word. And just stay tuned in today. I have a word for you that you don't need it right now. It's something that you've experienced in the past or something you will experience in the near future that doesn't apply to you right now. And I don't want you to get stuck in this situation, so I want to give you some warnings and some guidelines to help keep you moving forward in your life. And we're going to begin in the book of Exodus, chapter 4. The book of Exodus, chapter 4, I'm going to start at verse 22. The word of the Lord reads, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And in this same chapter, the Exodus Chapter 4. This chapter began by God giving Moses power to go forth to deliver this message unto Pharaoh. And he told him to look at the rod in his hand. And he did a lot of miracles with this rod. And even though Moses was the meekest man on the earth and was going forth in all of this power, and he was trained up in Egypt and with all of the mysteries and knowledge of Egypt. And he was destined to become a great deliverer of the nation of Israel. Even with all of this, and was going to free them from bondage. Because he didn't circumcise his son as God had commanded all of the men of Israel to do unto their sons. God was about to kill Moses here in this passage. And this happened in the very next verse after God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh that if he didn't do what God told him to do, he would kill his son. In the very next verse after he told him to go deliver this message to another man, he came to kill Moses for not doing what he instructed him to do to his very own child. And his wife Zipporah had to step in and save Moses' life by circumcising his son. And I tell you today that gas prices may be at a high right now. Food is higher than it's been in a long time, if ever, right now. Air travel is high right now. But even with all of these prices of everything that you have to buy going up, I'm here to tell you today that there's nothing in this society right now that's higher than the price of disobedience unto God. And I speak to you today from the title of The High Cost of Disobedience. The High Cost of Disobedience. 
Just turn to your neighbor and say, you can't afford it. Turn to the other side and say, you can't afford it. And I don't care what kind of income you have. You may be an entrepreneur, an executive. I tell you, I don't care what kind of 401k program you got. I know Mr. Ferguson does some investments. and It doesn't matter what kind of money you got sitting in your accounts. I'm just here to tell you, you can't afford to disobey God right now. You don't have enough money stored up to disobey Him right now. And I'm not teaching this message today to scare anyone or to make anybody feel bad about anything they've done disobeying God in the past. The purpose of this message is to give your mind something to think about the next time that you're faced with the temptation to disobey God. And most times when we disobey God, we just think about the pleasure of the, the sin of the moment. Or we think about the ease of the path, that if we don't do what God said, this will be easier going my own way. Or we think about the, the fear of the challenge, and it, we don't want to go through with it because it sounds hard. But if we think about the high cost of the disobedience, it will help us stay in a path of obedience. And see, Elijah normally begins his messages with a joke and I tried to look for a joke that, that, that was relevant to this message. I couldn't exactly find one, so I came across a statistic that related that was a little humorous to me, so I just give that to you in, in the place. And it basically came from a, a Japanese toilet manufacturer. They surveyed over 500 men and found that, uh, and they did the first one in 1999, and they find that. 15% of these men urinated while sitting down on the commode that they manufactured. They took another survey recently, and they found that that number jumped from 15% up to 49% in Japan of the men now urinated while sitting down. And they were scratching their head. The executive said, you know, why are over triple the men sitting down now? And they looked at all of the factors and they found out as they asked more questions that the reason that the, the, the rate over triple is because the wives were tired of the men spraying. And, <laughs> and in a nutshell, the male species has been standing up using the bathroom for thousands of years. All of a sudden is now sitting down to please their wife. <laughs> And I don't know if it was out of love or fear or just a nagging, but whatever the case, men all over Japan are saying it's just easier to sit down than, and obey than to stand up and be free. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to bring that, that, that statistic to relate about obedience. And it shows that, that the price is high enough. Even men will change the way they go to the bathroom. Their wives are getting them to obey in that area. So that's something to think about as you all go home and when it's time to use the bathroom, that, that's going to make you pay attention to what you're doing now. <laughs> I hope I didn't get any men in, in trouble with that one. The wives tell me, you better sit down over there. <laughs> also in the book of Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'm going to just summarize here. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And what happened in Deuteronomy chapter 1 is Moses was telling the people 
a summary of what they went through in leaving Egypt and getting to the promised land. And basically what happened is when they came from Mount Sinai, God told the people to go to the hill country of the Amorites and to take over this land. And this is your land. And I'm giving this land unto you. So the people traveled there and as they spent these days getting there, they got fearful and thought about it. And they said, once they got close to it, they said, well, maybe we need to send some spies into this land first to see what's over there in the land. And God really just told them, to, you know, go take it over. You know, be bold about it. But they got a little nervous and sent in 12 spies, one from each tribe. And these spies came back and all but two gave a negative report. And they talked about, of course, you know the story of the giants in the land. And they brought back these big fruits and all of these things. And the men were already a little nervous. But when they heard about these giants, they really, the fear gripped them. And they'd have just done what God told them to do and just go take it over in the first place. They wouldn't have had to get the report. But once they got this report, they went back to the tents and just began to mumble and grumble and say, God had brought us out here in this wilderness to, 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 to get killed by these giants now. And we look like grasshoppers compared to these giants. So basically, God told them, because you all don't believe and because you've murmured that you won't see this promised land, that it's going to be your children's generation that will go into this land. And and he said basically Joshua and Caleb would be the only two from that generation that would go into this land. And the people then, they, they regretted murmuring and, and being fearful about going in and taking over this land. And they said, you know, on second thought, we don't want to lose our promise. Now we don't come this far and come out of slavery. We're just going to go on in and take it. And Moses went back to the Lord and basically the Lord said, no, y'all done messed up now. You... you don't go into this land now. I told you it's going to be your children. And I won't be with you if you go in. And they didn't listen. They went on into the land anyway and figured they could beat them if this was their land. And those giants ran them out of that land with their tail tucked between their legs. And they chased them to another land. And many Christians don't realize that the children of Israel tried to go take it over. They only know about the successful story of them going and and, and, and taking over and conquering the land. They don't know about the time when they ran from these same giants and couldn't take it over. But they were doing it in their own power, in their own way, in their own will, outside of the will of God. And they refused to go into the land when God told them to go into the land out of fear. And they had to wander in the wilderness all of these years until all of them died off. And I tell you, they disobeyed on the front end and the back end. They, when God told them to go, they wouldn't go. When he told them not to go, that's when they went. And my father had a saying that they used to say in the country. I don't know where they got it from and, and really what it meant. But in situations like these, he, he said that some folks won't do right riding or walking. And, and, and he would have used this statement talking about the children of Israel. I don't know where that came from, but it would apply even until that time. And we had a case in the ark similar to this one. It was a time during a revival, and 
the word of the Lord came unto the pastor, and we had a lot of visitors in the ark, and God basically told the pastor, he said, basically, this was a very consecrated time, and he wanted to consecrate this offering. And he told the people that if you're from another church, and whatever church you attend, if you're not in covenant with tithing with that church and that ministry, do not give unto this offering. So just keep your money in this offering. I know you've never heard it before, Pastor, telling you not to give, but don't put anything in this offering if you're not in covenant. And he gave that word out unto the people in this revival, and the anointing was in the place. And basically, we watched as the people gave, and we didn't see anybody not give. And after this revival, we were just talking, and we just realized, and we said, we, 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 we looked at a lot of, we knew the church statistic that only a small percentage of, uh, of Christians tithe. And we knew good and well that 100% of the Christians in this place were not tithing and in covenant, but everybody put money in. And we just, we just came out almost with my father's statement. And we said, people won't do right. When you tell them to give, they won't give them out. Even when God has told them not to give, they still won't obey. They still say, I'm going to get it. Now that you tell me not to give, now I'm itching. I'm going to put this money in here now. I'm gonna, you can't tell me not to put my money in here. I want to put this. Take this money. You, it, it, it just can't do anything. I tell you, it's something about the nature of disobedience. It just makes you want to do what you want to do. I tell you, it's just an independent spirit that comes over us sometimes to make us do, even when it's about giving away our own money, even when God says not to. And mankind, this is not a new phenomenon. Mankind has been disobeying God from the very beginning of time and paying the price for that disobedience ever since. God, he created man and woman in the second chapter of Genesis. In the very next chapter, chapter 3, man and woman disobeyed God by doing the only one thing he said not to do. Now in the Old Testament, God gave them 613 laws. A lot of things to remember and do. And a lot of people would make the excuse that they, you know, violating the law because there's just too many. God had only given them one thing not to do. Just one thing. All of these trees, just one of them don't eat from. And that was the very tree that they mouth began to salivate for. That because it was the one they couldn't eat from. And we're still paying the high cost of that sin today. And in the next chapter... After that, after they messed up, you go to the next chapter. Adam and Eve had a son. And before that very chapter could end, that they had the son in, before you could get to the end of that chapter, the eldest son had killed his younger brother. He had done what was wrong in the sight of God. And I tell you, just on and on and after that, and God had to just wipe the whole earth outside of knowing his family because just sin, just everybody just wanted to do what they wanted to do and, and still crap back after that. And God had to set up a system of sacrifice involving blood to cover the sins of mankind. He first did it with animals and finally with the blood of his very own begotten son. And imagine if we were still having to cover our sins today with animal blood. I don't think there would be enough lambs and sheep and goats and bulls and birds on the planet to keep up with the sins 
other people. And imagine if you had to bring your animals with you to the ark after you done messed up during the weekend. Just imagine how much blood would be flowing out of it. I mean, we would have to get trenches in this place going all the way to the sewer line and the neighbors would just see blood just coming out for hours off of the, 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 the animals that were slaughtered. They would hear the sheep in here, all just for hours on end from the folks thinking about all of the things they've done just during the week. And, and, and I don't think the animal population could just keep up with it in this day and time. It was just doing too much stuff. And, and we wouldn't even have to prepare mess. It would be no time for the word. We, 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 <laughs> we would just have to tell the television audience that we're out of time. The sacrifices that they have used up all of the time. But we thank you for tuning in. We, <laughs> you know, we hope you had your animals ready. But we, we, we don't have any time for the word today because the people have used up all of the time bringing the sacrifices. God knew that we were going to need a better alternative to that stuff. He knew those sacrifices couldn't keep up with today's time. So he had to send his son to be the, the one sacrifice for all of time from that point on. And I tell you, even when my kids do things against the rules of our house, I forgive them. But I still have to train them to do the right thing or else they'll keep doing wrong over and over and over again. And so it is with God. Even though he forgives us under the blood of Jesus, he has to still keep us in the boundaries of proper Christian living or else we'll become a bad light unto the world and we'll remain outside of the will of God in our lives. And you just can't live any kind of way as a Christian and expect to get all of the same blessings of God. God is our Father and the most common form of punishment of smaller kids in today's society is the timeout. And when a parent places a child in a timeout, he or she can't move forward in their lives. They can't earn any more money on their allowance. They can't go outside and play with the other kids. They can't watch TV and play their video games and do the things they would normally do around the house. They normally have to go to a corner of the room or another room by themselves until the parent releases them from the time out. And when God places us in time out because of disobedience, it may seem like your money will just slip through your fingers and bills that you don't even understand the services, where these services are for the bills are. They'll, they'll just come in and you I didn't even know I had this service. And, it may seem like your promotion on your job will never come. It may seem like something has jumped in your spouse and they're just acting crazy. God has to use certain times out with us to get our attention, to get us back on the, the right course. So we won't keep repeating the same behavior over and over. Imagine if God wasn't a good parent and didn't put us in time out when we got into disobedience. What would happen to our souls? Just imagine if God told you to become a minister and to, to study and study his word and prepare yourself. And I want you to be a minister unto my people. And imagine if you thought about it and said, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to make me some money. I want to become a lawyer and I've got a good mind and I can make more money over here. 
and, and, and imagine if God wasn't a good father and there was no time out in place and, and, and you went to try to apply for law school and you just got in easy. You went to uh, see about your money and you just got a scholarship easy and, and, and you just breezed through your classes. It just flowed easy and you just formed good relationship with all of your professors and it just seemed like the system just clicked for you. And you was making relationships and association and just kept moving through and you got internships and things just clipped and snapped into place. Imagine if all this happened and you never got a time out. You'd get further away from the will of God. And after a while, you begin to make money with it and you begin to wonder if you were ever supposed to even be a minister because the path had been so smooth and things just flowed so easy for you. Imagine if God told you to break up with a person that you're dating and he had someone else for you that was better suited for your destiny and for your purpose. Imagine if the relationship just seemed to get better and better and the love just got sweeter and sweeter after he told you that and you didn't break it off. Imagine if the arguments became far and few between and the passion seemed to increase and to be never ending. Without a time out, you can marry this person and You'd always doubt whether God even had anybody better for you. Time outs help us as children of God to stop and sit and think about what we did wrong, how we got off our path and how to get back on the path. They allow us time to pray, time to meditate upon our destiny. And when one of my children gets a time out in a and after they come out, and sometimes a few minutes later, I look and they've ended some wrongdoing again. It tells me that the child didn't really learn anything from his time out when I see him right back a few minutes later into it. And it, it, and it, it tells me that they just used that time to rest and to gather their strength for the next act of, of disobedience. And it just frustrates us sometimes as parents. You just wonder if they have any sense at all sometimes when you see some of the behavior that goes on with kids. And it's at this point that I have to increase the punishment to enforce the lesson that they're to learn. And one day I had to, I grabbed my boy and he was acting up. And after I grabbed him, he was still wiggling. And I just looked him square in the eyes with a firm tone of voice. And I popped him one time. I said, listen, boy, I'm going to take this thing as far as you want to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and once he felt that pop escalating, after a while he was trying to get his own way, but he said, Dad is not playing with it. I said, come on, yeah, let's take it up. Right, yeah, that's good. Let's take it up. And after he felt that thing going, he, he stopped. He said, I better cut this thing off at all. <laughs> and he had to think about it. And Solomon, the wisest man that that ever lived sought out to see what was worth doing in life. And God didn't tell him to do these things. He just saw other men doing them. And it looked like they were having a ball. And he went about to try to see the value of it. And he got drunk and listened to a little music here and there. And said, let me see if this is what life is about. And after the morning came and he had a hangover and didn't progress in it, he said, it really wasn't worth it. He saw a lot of pretty women and went out and got a lot of wives, a lot of concubines. And by the time he got through paying for all those weddings and dealing with the parent and in-laws and, and, and dealing with all of these other religions they were involved in and dealt with all this and got a, some nagging day and night on this thing. And 
He said, no, this thing ain't cracked up. It, it, it ain't really worth it. This is not where it is. He looked at some of the scholars and said, surely these PhDs got it going on. They've got all these big books that they've read. And figured that this is where the key was. And he began to read the libraries of the world and subjects of every manner. And woke up with a headache and said, that really wasn't worth it. There's no fun in it. And I know a lot of facts, but still, it's not what life is all about. Finally, he got to the end, at the end of his life, and concluded, the end of Ecclesiastes, the wisest king that ever lived. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, last chapter, last few verses, 13 and 14. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And my father, he used to, when we would get our report cards, my mother would get it first and look over the whole thing and then she'd give it to my father. And my father would just go straight to the conduct column. He wouldn't even look at the grades. And he would look and see how we did in conduct. And he would judge his punishment and, 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 and counsel to us strictly and reward strictly off of our conduct grade. And my father knew that no matter how smart we were, if we didn't obey our teachers who were in authority over us, that we'd always have a discipline problem in life. And he wanted us to be obedient first and then smart second. And this is the same way our Heavenly Father is. He's not so much concerned about your skill set as he is with your willingness of heart to obey what he's told you to do. And I leave you today with just the words, this wisest man that has ever stepped foot on the planet, Solomon, with the gift of wisdom. Fear God and keep his commandments. Thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the word. This ends message number 8214 by James Bronner. To hear other messages or to send this message number 8214 to a friend, simply go to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com. This has been message number 8214. Listen to airjesus.com and theonlineword.com often and keep your spirit charged up.